Father, we just come to you this morning, thankful for another day to be together around your word and with the saints. It's always a, a great joy for us to to do that, experience that, and it's a, just your grace and your mercy which allows that. And thank thankful for these people who are here for this time today, and just pray the Holy Spirit you would help us to rightly understand your word and the concept of contentment, and also the sin of discontentment and pray that we would incorporate this into our life it would be something that we'll be able to put off discontent and put on contentment for your glory and we would also just find our contentment and satisfaction in you christ and no one else or no thing else pray this in your name amen so Biblical contentment, that's really the goal today, is to understand what that is. And uh, the next week, we're going to look at uh, developing contentment, learning contentment in different areas of life. And uh, finances, possessions, relationships, marital status, work, all those different things. So we'll have some more practical application. At least that's the plan, so we can get through today's lesson and then go, uh, go from there. So what comes to your mind when you think of contentment? Or what traits do you see in someone who is content? Uh, Happy. Okay. Peace. At peace. Okay. That happy written down, so I don't know why I heard happy. Patience. At peace. Patient. It's a complete trust in where God has you. Complete trust in where God has you. Yeah. That's a pretty good description. in my mind when I think of contentment of just having had a, a meal that was good and you've had your fill and like just being in a chair just kind of si just <laughs> satisfied <laughs> full good yeah. I had one of those this week <laughs> steak and potatoes okay so Dan's drawing a picture for us of contentment. Dave, you're going to... I was going to be more pessimistic, I think, sometimes. <laughs> I think of, like, lazy person. Lazy people are just content to be lazy. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That contentment, it, it kind of can lull you to a lazy state. Yeah, I was thinking about that this week in preparation. Where, where's the line between laziness and contentment? There is there one. And... Is it wrong to be ambitious? Like, you know, we might talk about that a little bit later. There is actually a, a book out called Rescuing Ambition by Dave Harvey. It's been out for a while, which talks about that. Like, are contented people lazy or are they unambitious? Or, uh, There's a jump in. There might be a bit of a difference between complacency and contentment. Um, Complacency is like you 
you stop trying and contentment, you are okay with what you have, but that doesn't mean you're not like trying to, you know, make it better in some way. You're just not mm -hmm. you're not doing it in a way that makes you miserable. Yep. Circumstances have a lot to do with, with whether or not we're content or not. I want you to turn to Philippians 4 right now. We'll get there in a little bit, but I just wanted to give you a heads up to, to turn there. Any other comments on what you think comes to mind when you think of contentment? I think there's, there's an absence of like competition. So like you'd be warm towards people. Mm -hmm. um, just ready to, to bless them and listen to them. And yeah, that's good. Also an absence of complaining. Absence of complaining. That's huge. Yeah. Because discontent is murmuring, complaining, grumbling. Kind of a settled spirit. I'm not sure what word I'm looking for. Not settled, but just a... Uh, Stable. I think settled is a really good one. I had restful, settled, calm, peaceful. Perry said at peace. Satisfied, thankful, still, silent. Are people by and large content? Why or why not? The natural tendency is to not be content. Okay. And to share that on social media. <laughs> I mean, you know. I don't, I don't read that stuff, but I hear about it. <laughs> well, isn't, aren't, aren't advertisers trying to make us discontented? Yeah, you want what they got, I guess. Yeah. I'm not going to be happy until I no, get that. of course. I think, Joe, when you said naturally we're not, the natural man is not a contented person. Mm -hmm. It simply is not. Our sin nature is restless. It's never satisfied. It always is coveting. It's wanting something more. So are people by and large content? I would say that in Christ, we can and should be content, satisfied. Christ is enough. Another word for being content is you've, you've got enough. You've got enough. You're satisfied. It's sufficient. Think about what are some common areas of discontent? Material things. Money. Huge. Finances, possessions, material things. Right at the top. Your appearance, your weight, your what you look like. Yeah. Right up there, very high outward appearance, your beauty, your physical abilities maybe as well. Position, what what kind of job you have, yep. even where you where you're placed in church. I think I for sure here there. Position, status. Yep. You also mentioned work. Could be an area of, <coughs> of huge discontent. <coughs> what else? Life choices and regrets. 
Mm -hmm. People would say I shouldn't have made that decision 10 years ago. Yeah. A lot of people live with a lot of regrets. And <clears throat> yeah. What about relationships, family, <clears throat> marital status? <clears throat> Some people may be discontent with the family they're in, or the person they're married to, or <clears throat> friends that they have. Gifts and opportunities, be discontented with how we are shaped by God, molded by God, gifted. Like I wish I had that person's abilities and downplay your own. Discontent with that. I think all these come in to, to play. I like what you brought up, Dave, just the outward appearance. The, that's a big one. People don't like to be discontented how tall they are, how short they are, how fat they are, how skinny they are, how whatever. Comes into to play a lot. I want to look at some scriptures that, that talk about being content or contentment. There's not a lot that there's a few key ones. And probably didn't leave enough space here at the bottom of page one to write down some observations, but I just wanted to do some observation with you. I know that uh, precepts teaches observation. I like observation. And let's just look at these verses and make some observation as we move forward. And one of the, <clears throat> one of the most important verses on contentment is out of Philippians 4, 11 through... 12, 13, could have put 13 in here. So I put two different versions down, the NIV and the Holman Christian Standard as well. I like those because they both use the word, I've learned to be content, or I've learned the secret of being content in both situations there, and I think that's a really good rendering of the text. But what would you observe as you look at that text? Like keywords, uh, commands, any contrast, comparisons? Can you read? I'll just read it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living, in plenty or in want. So, context-wise, Paul is writing this from prison, and he had received some generosity from the Philippians, and he was responding to that in an appreciative way. He's expressing his gratitude for their gracious gift. So, what would you what would you observe from reading that verse? <coughs> Like you said earlier, this is natural, not a natural bend. It's something we learn. You learn to be content. I think that is the key point of that text. Uh, mm -hmm. I have learned. Paul had to learn, and he probably had more opportunity to learn than any of us. I mean, if you read the descriptions of what he went through, 
like and he says every circumstance and situation so yeah definitely that is a key concept that is repeated twice in this section of verses here what has he learned to be content I think it's something that you don't just learn once. Mm -hmm. I mean, it says in every circumstance. So I think you you learn it here, and then you think, oh, I've learned contentment. But then God gives you another circumstance, <laughs> and you have to learn it again. Got to be me. content in that circumstance. So That's the great learning point. doesn't stop. It keeps continuing. Does it change as you get older, right? Or just new, as you said, new circumstances, new situations that come along. Good point. What do you think? What do you think, class? I can do all through Christ who yeah. strengthens me. That's what he goes to. Yeah. In four thirteen, which I should have put in here after I'd done this, like that. I was going back through. We, I bet you every one of you in here has that memorized or close to it. Mm -hmm. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Who is my sufficiency? Who is my satisfaction? I'm glad you asked that because that was the point I wanted to get to at one point in here. So I thought it was, anybody else got some observations here? I think it's interesting that at the end he says whether living in plenty or in once there's still a temptation to be discontent and dissatisfied when you're fine when you're level and everything's going great isn't that amazing that's where that's what i was hoping somebody would catch you mean when i have plenty i still have to learn to be content yeah because when we have lots we still want more we're still a covetous people can be. Good catch. I think there's nothing that makes a child more discontented than to give them everything. <laughs> For sure. We're children of God and we're pretty much no different. Other observations? What kind of <clears throat> what kind of circumstances and situations does he refer to? Yep. Any and all. <laughs> and leave anything out. Yeah, we don't get a get out of jail free point. I can be discontent in this circumstance. Yeah. We are going to talk later. You've looked further deeper in the lesson. Are there some areas we things we should be discontent about? Yes. But that's we're not talking about that yet. We'll get that. Any observations from the Philippians text? I think we got some of the some of the high points there. Let's go to the second page. <clears throat> There's a really good text in First Timothy six, six through eight, about contentment. But godliness, which in a nutshell we'll just call devotion to God, that would be a Good subject all of its own. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. I think context-wise here, Paul's trying to tell Timothy as a pastor to warn those who want to be rich or who are rich. He's contrasting contentment and godliness with just a desire to be rich. It's kind of the context of these verses. So what observations would you make from this text in regards to contempt? It's interesting. He kind of establishes like a baseline, like you were born with nothing. And so whoever you are, wherever you're at, reading this, you probably have more than what you were born with. So like you have, you still have reason to be content. You got food and a place to live. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. Be content with that. Mm-hmm. Baseline for contentment. Yeah. What is wealth? What is what is something to be gained? What's the greatest gain according to this text? Godliness. With what? Yeah. Contrasting that with in this section of verses with those who want to be rich. The wealthy person, the one who's got great gain, is the one who practices godliness and is content. It's contrasted with those who would be rich. So, food and shelter, content. Does it mean you shouldn't try to increase your position in life in order to give yourself more opportunity, wealth-wise, particularly if it's for the purpose of distributing for God's glory? Again, don't want to diminish godly ambition at all. Just thought of Proverbs fifteen sixteen. It says, "Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Mm-hmm. Better is a dinner of herbs, where love is, than a fatted ox where hatred, where hatred is with it." Kind of goes along what you're saying. It's better to be rich in godliness, be content, than rich in wealth and be discontent. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Yeah, 16 and 17. 15, Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. Perfectly illustrates this text in the New Testament. <coughs> Let's go to Hebrews 13, 5. <coughs> BSV says, <coughs> Keep your life free from love of money <coughs> and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The New King James Version says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I intentionally did that because I memorized, those of you who went through, memorized the word years ago, I memorized this verse in the New King James and 
covetousness to me seems broader than the, the, uh, the love of money. So I want to throw that in there. I think it's really talking about the love of money, but covetousness can be loving money, but can also be other things. So I think our life should be free from covetousness in general, not just the love of money. So that was my point in bringing those two different translations. Covetousness and the love of money are basically the same here. So what observations would you make from this text? You think it depends on us, but he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, you're a biblical counselor, and you've got somebody in your care or that you're meeting with. What from this verse are they to put off and what are they to put on? this pursuit of riches, money, this love of it, this coveting of it, and put on trust in God and thanksgiving and contentment. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We need to see these things as kind of a trap. Joe has an illustration of a raccoon with his hand in a trap trying to grab something. And as long as he's holding on to the thing, he can't get out. But he won't let go of it either. And it ends up killing him. <clears throat> Have you ever used a trap like that? Huh? Have you actually used a trap like that? No. Because I know you've, trapped, you've done trapping before. Yeah, they used to take cans and drive nails in them in the old days. And the coon would put his hand in, grab, and he'd pull out. He could probably drop what he had and wiggle his hand back, mm -hmm. but he doesn't want to go with that. Yep. It's a good one. Because he wants it. He's yeah. coveting it. He desires it. <laughs> yep. Well, I got one more verse here that is on your outline here. And it's uh, just getting trying to get to the meaning of the word content. It's from John 14.8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. New King James. Then it's then we will be satisfied from the Amplified Version. And ESV says it is enough for us. So that same word that's elsewhere translated content is translated sufficient, satisfied, enough. In in that context, so I thought that was interesting. Those are, that helps bring out what are we what are we talking about in being content. I have enough, it's sufficient. 
I'm satisfied. There's a couple other verses. You can just write these down. 2 Corinthians 3 5 is one, and 2 Corinthians 9 8. 2 Corinthians 9 8 says, have, always have. <laughs> We always have everything we need in our suffering in all things. God supplies the grace. It's a, just God is sufficient in our suffering, basically, kind of verse. I want to keep moving here. The definition on page three. Taking out a blue letter. It's a per perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. Sufficiency of the necessities of life. A mind contented with its lot. Contentment. It's kind of back to Jennifer's definition there in the beginning. <laughs> to be contented, to be satisfied, to be enough. I thought those were all good to help bring together the meaning. And I kind of like quotes, so I've got quite a list of quotes here. These come from a variety of places, and I would also at this time point out to you a couple of resources that I use for this lesson and that we have in a resource center that I really like. Mm -hmm. The Art of Divine Contentment. Mm -hmm. So it's a guy that took the Puritans, the way they write, and modernized the language. Thomas Watson wrote The Art of Divine Contentment. Some of, those, some of these quotes come out of there. And then, some of you may, but we've had this quite a while, 31 days to contentment, seeing God's goodness, 31 day devotional. So both of these are out there and are really good, good resources. So giving credit where credit's due, much of what I'm talking about today and moving forward will be from those uh, two resources that I really, really think are good. So Thomas Watson said, there is no better antidote against coveting that which is another's than being content with that which is our own. Think about that for a little bit. The best antidote against coveting that which is another's is being content with that which is your own. Jeremiah Burroughs, he wrote the, the classic uh, the, the jewel, the rare jewel of Christian contentment, I think is the exact title. And his definition of Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. So he kind of takes in every situation delighting in God's wise and fatherly disposal, His will for your life, being content with His will for your life. So that's just a best, I think is the best definition that there is. I thought this next one kind of goes along with that. Contentment is an embracing of the providence of God. Discontent is pushing back against it. I don't think you know what you're doing. I don't think this is good. 
Another one from Thomas Watson. I do not know of any jewel that more decorates a Christian or glitters in the eye of God and man than that of contentment. You guys got any comments on these? You're welcome to to break in. Thomas Watson also said, if there is a blessed life here before we go to heaven, it is the contented life. <clears throat> Always got to throw in a Spurgeon quote, right? Mm -hmm. Spurgeon said, if you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Jerry Bridges, contentment with what we have is absolutely vital to our spiritual health. Thomas Watson again, discontent is to the soul as disease is to the body. Sinclair Ferguson, contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord at His disposal. Thomas Watson, discontent keeps a man from enjoying what he doth possess. Very true. A drop or two of vinegar will sour a whole glass of wine. And this one got to me. Contentment is wanting what you have and not wanting everything, not having everything you want. Be content with what you have. Matthew Henry, he is much happier that is always content though he has ever so little than he that is always coveting though he has ever so much. Kind of back to the proverb that they brought up. Contentment is internal satisfaction which, which does not demand changes in external circumstances. Ouch. Remember what it says, demand change in external circumstances. What seems to be the enemy of contentment? Unthankfulness. Not being thankful. <coughs> yep, not being thankful. Coveting. So for your blank there, I'm actually the word covetousness is the the and I go to the <clears throat> that's the fill in the blank there in both of those. <clears throat> and then thankfulness is coveting as well. You you want something else, you're not don't have gratitude. We're gonna look at five roots of of discontent right now. Or five roots of discontent which leads to a lack of contentment. I really take that from the verse 13.5 out of Hebrews. Let your life be free from covetousness and be content with what you have. So there's, you're not going to be content if you're coveting. You're just not. Can you think of scriptural examples in which <coughs> coveting or covetousness led to sin and the sin of discontent? I figured you guys would get that one right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Israelites. Which ended up they were a bunch of what? Unthankful, <laughs> complaining, murmuring people. Let's go to Adam and Eve. <laughs> Which we are, right? <clears throat> what in the world? You had everything, right? What did she covet? Knowledge. 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 Status. Be like God. The one thing that she didn't think she had. Yeah. I mean, you have everything. There's always going to be something you think you're missing. Yeah. And there's a partly pride there. Well, there is pride there. Like, <clears throat> I'm not God. I should be. Right? She didn't know her place. And pride is also a root of discontent. Yeah, there's hardly a sin where covetousness is not an ingredient. Pretty hard to find one that's not. Adam and Eve, Perry, you mentioned David. Yeah, what, did, what in the world? They already had, I don't know how many wives, but you had to have that one. Solomon, like in Ecclesiastes, you know, there's... I don't know if that's a discontentment or if he was just running experiments, but it seems like he, he wanted to just, there's something that I want to experience and there's not a satisfaction in what the Lord had given him, which was already amazing in itself, in his status, and his power, and his wisdom, and yet he was all like giving himself to all of these other things that he wanted to experience, and it got him into a lot of trouble. Yeah. And all the wives. And yep. Jacob wanted Esau's blessing. Um, there you go. Yeah, I thought of that one. And you speak when we went through Mark 6, uh, is where we're at now. And it's Herod. We're talking about Herod. But Herod the Great, that whole line, like when you go through all the Herods, that's just full of discontentment. And like you can see, I mean, he had 10 different wives, I think. And just the family, the family dynamics that was going on with Herod the Great, they just weren't content. With, with what they had. I mean, one of the brothers married somebody and then another brother married. They're just, the whole line just reeks of discontentment and not happy with what they had. And they just wanted more and more. I think Harry the Great murdered one of his sons because he wanted to keep power and he was a threat to his kingdom. And so that whole line, lineage, just discontentment reeked through it and it caused Tons of damage to the illustration. Yeah. It's all over. We are a discontented lot. <laughs> Largely. Or potentially can be. James 4 talks about that. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. We want, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want. The tenth command, right? Thou shalt not covet. Shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife, his livestock, his land, his whatever. Why do they have to be in there? That's because we're prone the other way. Prodigal son. 
He wanted his father's inheritance. And then the brother that stayed behind wanted a party when his brother got one. I like coveting. <clears throat> Covetousness is definitely <clears throat> the enemy of contentment. It's, it's one of the roots of <clears throat> discontent. And it's not, I didn't write it down in the lesson, but if you want to take some notes here, let's go through, real, <clears throat> go through these real quickly. Thomas Watson in his book actually has <clears throat> five causes of discontent, one of which is covetousness. Where are you? What's that? Are you on your? I'm still on number four. I'm sorry. Okay. Like I say, I didn't put it in the outline. But if you want to write these down, one of those causes, five causes, was covetousness, which we're covering here. And he said, covetousness and contentedness cannot dwell in the same heart. Another one that he had is pride. He who thinks highly of what he deserves usually looks down on what he has. A discontented man is a proud man thinking himself better than others. Therefore, he finds fault with the wisdom of God that he is not above others. So you can put pride in there as a, another cause of discontent and an enemy of contentment. Another one that he talks about is discontent is also caused by envy and you can certainly see that the envious man looks so much at the blessings that others enjoy that he cannot see his own mercies and so he continually vexes and tortures himself and he uses Cain as an example of somebody who was envious of his brother's acceptable sacrifice And he distinguishes between envy and jealousy. He also calls it, says jealousy is a fourth cause of discontent. This is born, sometimes born out of sadness, and the spirit of jealousy causes the evil spirit to come within a person, and it creates real discontent. And then the last of the five that he brings up as the final cause of discontent is distrust. I distrust. God. And he said it's a degree of atheism. The discontented person is ever distrustful. <clears throat> he is not trusting God in his situation, whereas in Hebrews it said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, <coughs> lack of trust in God as well is a cause of discontent. Any questions on that? Any thoughts on that before we move on? To the benefits of contentment. I don't think we think of pride in this way often. Like we think of pride as boasting. But I was thinking, you know, like the Super Bowl game today, the winners can boast and show off. And the losing team can also be pride, prideful too, by complaining and mm -hmm. saying, "Oh, they made the wrong call. We practiced harder than them." For sure. Results in complaining, discontent. Okay, the benefits of contentment. 
I wrote down some of what he has in the book. Might have mixed in one or two additional. A contented Christian carries heaven with him. And his point on that is that when you have God and rest, that's heaven. Heaven will be in the presence of God in Christ who is our rest, eternal rest. Sometimes they speak like Puritans of that day and the language is a little bit hard to decipher. But I get what he's saying. Like a godly person that's contented is like that is heaven. It's like they're godlike and they're at rest, they're content. Thought number two, whatever we are lacking, fill in your blank there, is made up in contentment. It's not, you know, it's not right to say, well, I'm, I can only be content I'm not lacking anything. No, Paul said, I may be lacking, I may not have enough food, I may have too much. No, contentment makes up whatever you're lacking. So it's probably true, we're not going to deny the fact, sometimes we are lacking some things. But we can still be content. Contentment will make that up. Contentment makes a man in tune to serve God. <clears throat> he means by that <clears throat> that if you are content, you can rejoice. You can do all the commands that the psalmist would say. You can rejoice. You can give praise. You can give thanks. You can be a thankful person. <clears throat> so a question for you. Can a discontented person be thankful? What's that? Occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> you probably know some somebody like this. In the old days, we used to call him that old grumpy codger. I don't know what codger meant for sure, but you kind of knew the guy who the weather was never right, nothing was ever right, there was never any thankfulness, there always seemed discontent. I don't know if you can really legitimately give gratitude and thanksgiving and praise and rejoice in God if you're discontent. How does that work then? Because wouldn't thankfulness be the antidote to discontentment? Mm -hmm. So if you if then it's true that you can't be genuinely thankful and discontent at the same time, how do those two You have to learn to be <clears throat> content. So we'll get to that. <clears throat> like how do you at the end of this <clears throat> one of those is be thankful. So you, you come against it. You learn to crowd out discontent. It's an antidote for it. Good question. Number four, under the benefits of contentment, contentment is a spiritual arch or pillar of the soul. As goes our contentment, so goes our spiritual life. It's the direction of your spiritual life. Contentment prevents many sins and temptations. Contentment prevents many sins and temptations. If you're content, you're not going to be impatient. If you're content, you're not going to commit the sins of complaining and murmuring like the Israelites did. 
Contentment sweetens every condition. Contentment sweetens every condition. He's not saying, the scriptures aren't saying that you're not going to have some, some situations that are not that great. We are. We're going to have them. But contentment sweetens trials, situations you're in. And contentment is the best commentary on providence. It's really our submission and trusting God. It's a commentary on trusting in His providence. With what are we to be discontent? So we want to take a guess at any of those fill in blanks there. Pride. Sin. Sin. I heard sin. Pride is a sin, so sin. We should have a Huge discontent for sin. The practice of sin. Be discontent with sinful company. All over in Proverbs. All over in Proverbs. Be discontent with fruitlessness. Those are three he mentioned. Do you guys think of any others? Being discontent with the world just in the sense of it's so easy to try and make this our forever home. And we're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be discontent with being content in this world. Is that the way you put that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right, Chanel. We can get really content and comfortable. And the, the message today, Tanner's bringing is out of Revelation 22, 1 through 5, which will give us a visions will be discontent with this world and more content with the one to come as a result of the message today. I think we should be discontent with unreconciled relationships that we haven't made every effort to, or at least made proper effort. That probably comes under number one, being discontent with sin, but I think just being discontent with not making every effort to live at peace with one another. And I'd also go to the Jesus' verses where he talks about if you're at a place of worship and you realize you, your brother has something against you, you go to them. So I think we can get content with not making every effort. John, I, I can get content with like, um, if I make a little bit of progress in something and then I'll just like, okay, I'm good for a while. I can be really content instead of continuing on and um, fighting the next sinful area or the next habit or the next thing I, I just I get a little bit better at something I'm like okay I can coast for a while and that, that's a that always leads to back down to um, it just I drop in some other area or something because I just I get content with uh, with some little thing little progress just little progress in some area yeah y'all think of anything else that we should be discontent with 
souls. Discontent with their position, their relationship with God. It's a good one, Jack. Can churches get content and complacent? You know, in the wrong way. Like is our our commission ever done to make disciples? To well, we've you know we've grown, we've, we've done enough. Probably not. We should be discontent with being contented about things that we shouldn't be. The status quo, I guess, is I've heard that said. Be discontent with the status quo. I like that one. Be discontent with unreconciled relationships because it's really to say we just don't get along. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not going to talk to that person. We just don't get along. Yep. We should be discontent with that. We should be discontent with anything that settles for less than God's will mm-hmm. or <clears throat> His prescribed obedience for our, for our life. Early on, one of the questions, what, what does a contented person look like? Page 5, a con- characteristics that define a contented spirit. A contented spirit is a cheerful spirit. You want to fill in the blanks on that? A contented spirit is a thankful spirit. A contented spirit adapts to all situations. And that's directly from the Philippian passage. Whatever, any and all circumstances. Not that it was good. Adapts to all situations. And man, did Paul have you know manifold situations. And you know, as you said, Dave, earlier, we're going to have new ones come up as life goes on. We have to learn to to be content in those. A contented spirit does not use sin as a solution. I think what is meant by that is. I'm not going to kick against providence of God and His direction in order to get what I want. I'm, gonna, um, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to stay on the path He has me on until He gives me an exit. A contented spirit is a quiet or peaceful, you could say, quiet or peaceful and silent spirit. And by silent, what is meant is not complaining or murmuring. Probably know the people that tell you about how tough they have it as opposed to the ones who quietly and humbly submit to it. Okay, down to a couple minutes, but here's how to learn contentment, attaining the divine art of contentment. Advance in faith. Whatever the trial, set faith to work. Get a humble spirit. A humble man is a contented man. 
Keep a clear conscience. The conscience is first pure, then it is peaceful. I really like that. If you don't have a clear conscience, you will not be a contented, peaceful person. Number four, learn to deny yourself by mortifying your sinful desires. Put heaven in your heart. Kind of what Chanel was talking about. The more we have heaven in us, the less earth will satisfy us. Number six, remember you are a pilgrim, sojourner. You're in the world, but not of the world. Seven, do not focus on what you lack, but on what you have. Study the inconstancy of the world. It's passing away. 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away. Think about that. So it's not something to be contented with in the first place. It's passing away. Regulate perception. And I found this under his definition of that, Thomas Watson's, if we could cure our distempered perceptions, we might soon conquer a discontented heart. In other words, I think we have perception that grass is greener over there. But that's a perception. So if we regulated what we think about things like that, we would conquer our discontentment. Consider how little will meet your needs. And through in Matthew 6.11, our daily bread, 1 Corinthians 6.8, be content with food and shelter. And again, we could have a whole class on, okay, there is godly ambition and we should be industrious people. Number 11, meditate often on the coming glory. Our cross might be heavy, but one side of Christ will make us forget all of our former sorrows. And I like this one. Pray often. Plead with God to work your heart towards this blessed condition. So I think we learn contentment. We pray for it as well and ask Him to bring us to that blessed state. So next week we'll get into about six or eight different areas where we tend to be discontent and talk about how the Scriptures counsel us in those areas.